Welcome back to the Geek Warning Podcast. I am your host this week, uh, Ronan McLaughlin. And yeah, I'm your host because we have a bit of a deep dive special episode this week, diving into, well, diving into the Tour de France time trial that uh, we witnessed earlier this week. Some say one of the most, if not the most impressive time trial performance of all time uh, from Jonas Finnegó, who, as we record this, looks like he's about to go on and win the Tour de France. He's got a seven and a half minute lead, so he could uh, he could take the next few stages as recovery days almost and still have enough time in hand to to maintain his lead into Paris. And I am joined for this uh, special episode of Geek Warning by an Escape Collective member and an expert in all things aerodynamics. That is Mark Gravelin, who is... Well, Mark, um, we just discussed how I might introduce you, and I think you did a much better job than I could. So I might throw to you to give you uh, give us some of your background as into your sort of your understanding and your expertise and your history within the uh, time trial and, and aerodynamic scene. Okay, well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so little bit of history, I guess. Um, I worked I worked my entire career in software and big data. I, um, you know, the company I was working for, I was a vice president engineering was acquired by IBM, um, that in another acquisition, you know, they allowed me to, um, to, to retire rel- relatively early and, uh, and pursue my passion was triathlon and cycling. Uh, I was doing the whole Ironman thing. And, uh, so I retired 2013, I was doing the triathlon thing and not being very talented, being old and not very strong. I figured I'd probably have to work a little smarter. So I got into, you know, aerodynamics and and figuring it out and all the math that goes with it. And then I, I ran into the folks from Argon 18 and they saw that, you know, based on my my um, um, knowledge of aero and based on my work experience, they asked me to um, to do a startup with them. And uh, that's when we developed the Nocio uh, Aerometer. So, you know, I, I guess I could I could lay claim to that I was the inventor and the founder of of Nocio. Um, and and through that partnership, through that you know work that I was doing with uh, with Argon, I, I I got to work very closely with the Astana team from 2016 to I guess 2018 2019. Um, so that, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, and what's great about the world tour is you meet people and you develop relationships and friendships and, and these people go to other teams and soon enough, you know, I, I was, I was looking recently and I, you know, I probably know a person on every team out there. Um, and, and that's led me to some cooperations with, with, uh, with a handful of, uh, world tour teams, uh, on the aero side in different, different functions or different, um, you know, uh, areas of expertise from team time trialing to individual time trialing to, you know, efficiency and, you know, rolling resistance, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And and for those who who don't know, a, a, an audio device that you've mentioned there is effectively an aerometer. It's an on-bike uh, aerometer based around a, a pitot tube that you can use to sort of measure your, your CDA uh, on, on a bike and, and then you know, obviously everything that you can do from that in terms of improving your aerodynamics, improving your position and that. And, and we've seen so many of these aero sensors uh, sort of emerge now, but I think Nodio was one, one of the first, wasn't 
Yes, it, it was. It was the first commercially available um, aerometer. Um, and and I guess when when I left in 2019, I wanted to I wanted to do what I thought would be the next step in aerodynamics, in in measuring the things that impact CDA, uh, rather than just purely measuring CDA. So, for example, you know, we noticed a lot that when the riders, you know, riders in the wind tunnel and riders on the road were doing very different things. So we wanted to be able to capture those different things to figure out, you know, what what is what are the things that truly impact CDA? And if we can measure them, how can we improve them? And uh, but, you know, unfortunately, in order to do that, you have to have a very accurate underlying aerometer to get very accurate cda uh and for the type of things that we were looking at doing we we didn't feel it or was anything on the market yet um so we we chose to uh develop our actual our own actually develop our own aerometer on top of the sensors that we were going to use for for measuring these efficiencies and efficiencies um so that's how we got to where we are today you know, and, and, you know, just chatting before the show, I think, I think that's going to be a big part of the conversation is, you know, uh, there, there's more to a CDA, uh, uh, captured in a wind tunnel to, to, to analyze these results. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you, as you mentioned there, the conversation we we're having before we had record here and, and over the past couple of days has been, uh, well, I, let's just say, I, I hope this, uh, podcast can be half as fascinating as, as everything we've discussed over the, the past few days. Uh, briefly before we go on that, you mentioned you are now developing a new aero sensor. Um, you've called it the, the gizmo. Um, and you're, you're working with some world tour teams, some teams in the Tour de France now, uh, utilizing that aero sensor and sort of helping those teams optimize for time trials, team time trials. Um, so you're still very, very much involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. You know, uh, I must say since, since, uh, since the T, uh, the time trial, the, the phone or the WhatsApp has been <laughs> buzzing, buzzing, um, absolutely buzzing. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What about this? Did you ever measure this? So, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, still, mm. still quite involved. Um, I, I would say, you know, half my time is, is out testing the gizmo and trying things that people ask me about. Um, and, and the other half is analyzing the data. Good stuff. Well, just before we, uh, delve into the, the actual time trial, uh, analysis here, uh, I want to just take a second to mention that this podcast is only possible thanks to the generous support of our escape collective members. And yeah, I'm not just, uh, it, it seems extra relevant this week, given that our guest expert here is actually also an escape collective member and has been from about day one, I believe. So, um, yeah, Correct. this podcast has no ads. Uh, this is not an ad read. Um, and it does not happen for nothing. So. Uh, this is just a brief reminder that if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you're here, please consider ensuring that it will continue to happen by signing up at escapecollective.com forward slash join for one of our monthly or annual memberships with the monthly membership starting at uh, basically $12 and there's a 30% saving on an annual membership. So yeah, without further delay then, let's delve into it. I mean, I know the question on most of our lips this week is... 
what did we just witness? That uh, time trial was was pretty phenomenal. Uh, I think one of the things we'll keep coming back to during this podcast is, um, you know, we're obviously going to discuss uh, Jonas Vinigo's performance in depth, uh, but let's not also lose sight of the fact that Tadej Pogacar also did an incredible time trial, put over a minute into White Van Aert in third place. Uh, some of the data and graphs that have been popping up since suggested Pogaccio was every bit as far ahead of the rest of the field as he was on the Planche de Belfi time trial in 2020. It's just this time there was somebody else who was even further ahead uh, than, than Pogaccio is. Uh, I guess the question to open up with here, Mark, is just, did you predict what we've seen happening on Tuesday would happen before it happened? <laughs> um, no. No, and and uh, you know, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts and and a lot of experts, I I'm I'm glad to see everybody is as surprised as as I am was, you know, maybe coming coming back to things that we said previously, um, you know, one one of the things that that we try to do is understand the difference between you know what we see in wind tunnels and what we see in road testing and what we see in racing um we we try to understand it so to understand it we have to have software that can take race results and and that we can we can actually pull apart all the data and figure out what actually happened so we you know we take weather data from the weather stations we take um we take power meter data when we have it we take cda data and and we try to model um what what we expect finish times to be um, and, you know, so we, 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 we can take things like, you know, um, Jonas's published weight and, you know, what we, ex- what we think is world-class CDA and we can plug it in and we can, we can guess a, a finishing time. We don't know if there's going to be a, we can't predict a, a tailwind or headwind or those kind of things, but, you know, we can come pretty close. So, um, I had done, I had done some modeling before and, and no, I, I could not have predicted something that fast. How much faster was it than what you did predict? What was the difference between uh, a thing ago and <laughs> today? <laughs> uh, wasn't it one minute 38, if I yeah, remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if, you look, if you look at the, you know, if you take best case scenarios um, in terms of, you know, what, what's a world-class CDA in the wind tunnel, and, and if you bring that to the road, and then if you look at, you know, some uh, world-class watt per kilo climbs, you know, there's there's a big chunk of this was was climbing. I think it was over 50% was done uh, of the time was spent on those um, on those two uphills. Um, and you plug them all in, um, you know, I, I think I think um, Jonas's numbers were, were rather exceptional. It, it looks like. It looks like everything went absolutely perfectly, like absolutely perfectly. Mm. Um, you know, um, typically, you know, if you look at a CDA, a world class CDA in the wind tunnel, you 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 know that if you don't hold the perfect line, if you don't take the curves perfectly, you know, the the uh, actual or effective CDA will will be a bit higher. You know, to get to get to Jonas's numbers, I have to keep his CDA, you know, almost wind tunnel perfect. Um, mm. He has to have uh, an exceptional climbing day. Um, I think I think the gentleman in the, in the polka dot jersey uh, at Chicone, I believe it is. Yes, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he did a little bit better on the climb uh, on a road bike than Jonas did in terms of time. Uh, but I think he also, from, from what I understand, he probably held back a bit in order to to get that segment. I, I'm not sure yeah. what the proper term is. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, so, so Jonas had the best CDA, Jonas had the best watts per kilo, you, you know, he, he had, he had everything going for him, everything. Mm. Yeah. Ciccone had specifically targeted the mountains points because he's in the, the, the poke yeah. out Jersey. And so he had taken the opening phase of the time trial, uh, uh, you know, relatively easy. Let's consider it something along the lines of what you would normally do for a warm up for a time trial is probably what he was doing so that he would arrive at the climb and you know in a in a state that he was ready to attack the climb as fast as possible and yeah. his equipment and everything was optimized for the climb and yes he did beat Vinigo, but not by very much and Vinigo had done the entire time trail fast um you know and you mentioned everything went perfectly i've actually spoke to matthew highbor the yumbo Visma's head of performance since and you know, it was clear that on the day everything went absolutely perfectly what matthew was telling me was that actually the past 12 months everything has gone entirely perfectly for the past 12 months. Uh, coming into the tour last year, they had said that Vinigo had been injured, had been sick, had uh, had missed training throughout the, the build-up. Not not you know, not huge amounts because he was obviously in fantastic condition, but it just hadn't gone perfectly, the build-up to last year's tour. Whereas this year, from the moment he started his winter training, whatever, it couldn't have went any better, apparently, from step to step. And... and he sort of joked that the only hiccup along the way was, I think it was a stage of Grand Camino that was shortened because of snow uh, back in February or March. And that was sort of the only hiccup along the way. So all, all that buildup went perfectly. Um, the, the the question I was going to ask you there is, you've mentioned a couple of times world-class CDA. What What is a world-class CDA number these days? Oh, um, so I think, I think Dan Bingham um, has, has, broken that floor i guess it's not a ceiling he's broken he's broken the floor um you know he's in the basement he's 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 yeah um i think on the road you know i suspect guys like Jonas are very close to that point one seven uh maybe slightly under i'm i'm struggling to you know and and that that's in a wind tunnel um you know, there's no way that, you know, he didn't hold a 0.165 or a 0.17 for the whole thing. He was, he was out of arrow for, for, for some of the climbing when he was going around those, some of those turns, he was, you know, um, so, you know, I, I did some modeling with him at a 0.17, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we don't know his power and we don't know his CDA. So, but what you can do is you can, you can set a CDA at 0.17 and see how many Watts he has to do, or you can set him at, 6.6, 6.7 watts per kilo. And you can see what a CDA would have to be. And, and very quickly you see that you have to set both things at, at, you know, the two, the two, the two extremes, you know, the, the lowest CDA and and the most watts per kilo. Um, so coming back to, you know, he, he had a perfect day, you know, that's, uh, he, he was, he, you know, he, he looks absolutely arrow. He looks absolutely beautiful when he rides the bike. Um, I, I remember, Mm -hmm. You, you referred to his all season has been going well. There was a team, there was a, a time trial, not a team time trial. There was a time trial a few months back that he destroyed. And, and I did some analysis for a team and, and sure enough, his CDA had to be, you know, incredibly low at that point. So, 
you know, I think I think Jonas having an incredible CDA is is not something new. He's also, you know, we we probably have to consider also that, you know, he is first of all, one of the points I wanted to make earlier was just this course, if it was ever gonna bring GC riders to the fore, yep. uh, a time trial course, this it was gonna be this time trial course with you know, we're talking about the climb at the end, but there was a climb at the start also. Yeah. Um and then obviously there's a descent in between the two climbs and we've seen just how fast Vinigo was was riding on on that descent um but what we did notice throughout also was just how uh disciplined let's say he was in his time trial position and how well he was able to to maintain it you know you think back to the likes of contador and that um you know 10 12 15 years ago or whatever it was they looked highly they looked very very arrow at the time but they were sort of all over the place shuffling back and forth in the saddle and up and down and you know you take a one tunnel cda measurement and typically the rider can sustain that because they're not riding just as hard but take it out onto the take that position out to the outdoors and two and a half weeks into a grand tour and all the fatigue that's in the system and all that shuffling that starts happening uh that does really really affect um your your cda quite a lot Add in, add into that also that you know Jonas is just a very small person. Um, that's why he's so good at climbing, and you know a, a a CDA figure that is achievable for Jonas, I assume, isn't going to be achievable for someone like Van Art or uh, Ghana or even Pogaccia. Is that is that fair to assume that you know that if we assume that the two guys are doing similar watts per kilo because they've been side by side on the climbs for most of this race? Vinigo is almost going to have an advantage going to the time trial because he is just so much smaller and he is therefore going to have a, a lower CDA in his optimized position. Is that am I am I am I simplifying it too much there, or is that the case? No, no, I, I don't think you're simplifying it. I, I think you're you're right. Um, you know, if one one guy that uh, has kind of gone under the radar uh, because of you know all the noise that this has made is uh, Pelo Bilbao who, who came mm-hmm. forth, you know, and, and Pelo's a, uh, a pretty light guy and he's, uh, he's a very aero guy. He's, he's working with one of the best in the industry over at Bahrain. Um, and, and I take his numbers and his numbers in terms of his, you know, his, what I believe his white weight and CDAs are, which, which are world-class. Um, and I plug them in and they're more in line um, with with the Wouts and the and the Tadejas in terms of um, you know watts per kilo on on the climbs um, and 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 speeds on the different sections. Um, another thing, you know, the mo- the models that we do, we break it down into sections so we can compare. You know, uh, does our model fit well on the climbs, and does it fit well on the descents, and does it fit well on the flats? Um, so, so, you know, fr- from what I can see, Pello was probably more in line with, um, with, with the Wouts and, and the, uh, and the Tadejas and, um, and, and Jonas was just, you know, w- one notch above, mm. not, not uh, ridiculously above, but, you know, uh, definitely above. Mm. Well, I guess, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you there. You're, you're mentioning CDA numbers like 0.17 with two decimal places. And yep. a lot of the time we see them out to three and four decimal places. But it, it's, at least in my head, it's difficult to sort of fathom how much of a difference, you know, a, a, a 0.001 of a change in CDA will make. Uh, it's not as easy to understand as 
well, if you lose one kilogram or you gain one kilogram in body weight, it's going to have this amount of effect. What, how much difference is a change of 0.01 or 0.001 going to have here? Because that's a, that's a minute change, but can that answer the, the differences that we're seeing between these performances? Yeah, so, so 0.001 will translate to one watt at 48 kilometers an hour on a flat course. Okay. So, so point zero, you know, rule of thumb on a flat course, remove altitude and everything point zero zero one will make a one watt difference on the climbs. It's, it's making very, very, very little difference. You know, um, the, the Watts that are going to go to drag, um, are not linear with speed. It's, it's almost to the cube. So, you know, uh, if you're going 36 kilometers an hour and you want to go 10% faster, it requires 30% more Watts to overcome aero drag. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that gets worse at, at 44 and 48 and 50 kilometers an hour. So, uh, when Jonas was climbing, he was not a point zero zero point zero one seven. nor did he need to be. And if he was a point and, and when he, when he was climbing, if he was a point three, it made very, very, very little difference there. There were times they were going 18 kilometers an hour, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it makes no difference at that point, at that, at that point. Uh, so then if we take that to the, to the next level, then if we assume Pogaccio is somewhere around 0.18 and Vinigo, as you said, was 0.17. Yeah. How, how much difference is that making? So, so I, I ran numbers, for example, um, I had Tadej at, uh, 0.18 and I had Jonas at 0.17. Um, and then, and then to do their, their actual finish times, uh, Jonas did have to produce more watts per kilo, probably in the order of 10, 10, 15 watts average for the entire course, uh, in mm-hmm. order to get to the, the finish times that, that they got to. Okay. Uh, and that's even with the difference in CDA, is that, is it, am I hearing you right there? That's, that's correct. Even so, with that so, CDA, yeah. so, you know, you just need to watch the videos. Even, even if Jonas and Tadej had the same CDA coming out of the wind tunnel, you know, you could see that Jonas rode more efficiently. His head was mm-hmm. was in position all the time. Um, Tadej was bopping around a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. The lines they were taking, which you know, it's not your CDA, but it, it'll be reflected in in a in a CDA number at the end. Um, uh, it, it was was definitely higher. So so I set Tadej's CDA a little bit higher uh, by a point zero one. Um, and to get to their finish times, probably about 10 to 15 watts difference. Um, you know, so, so Jonas would have had to produce 10 to 15 watts more for, for, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this includes their body weight, of course, or takes account for their body weight. Is, is watts per meter squared or watts to CDA or something, a measurement we should be looking at here instead of watts per kilo? You can, um, I, I, I would use that a lot more if it was a, purely flat stage you know there's so much climbing okay. in this stage where you know this the, the watts per cda is very applicable to the flatter sections and the downhills and the watts per kilo are absolutely um uh the important factor on the uphills mm-hmm. which is probably what led to the which probably what led <laughs> to the bike change uh yeah well the bike change i want to go back to but it also goes back to what we we're saying earlier about this course just being it, it's apart from a, you know an opto as time trial or something it's the most gc 
contender friendly time trial course you could you could imagine almost um and then you know if you take the guy who it's, it's maybe safe to assume that Jonas has the lowest CDA in the Tour de France this year with those sort of numbers you're suggesting there I'm 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 going to jump to that conclusion I don't know if that's fair or not but he's definitely down there with the lowest uh, and then he's also the best climber and you've given him a time trial course where he has also put a lot of time and energy into understanding and learning and knowing that descent like the back of his hand and you know again I'm not I'm not going to jump to conclusions here but there are there are factors there that start to explain some of this performance. Absolutely. That, you know, I, I, I looking at this, I, it was just the perfect storm in terms of, you know, course, rider, discipline, you know, execution, fatigue, possibly with, with the, with the competitors. Um, it, it was just perfect. I, I do want to go back to being a, a, a bit cynical again, though, um, or at least uh, skip. Uh, I'm not sure what the right word is there, but I, I want to just ask you with all the numbers you've ran now, and thinking back to that pre time or post time trial press conference, Jonas mentioned that he had been targeting 360 watts. Uh, we don't really have much reference as to what exactly that was. He then said that he actually had a really, really good day. He thought his power meter was broke and he was doing 380. Is that the kind of power numbers you're getting when you run these CDA numbers? No, 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 no. I, I what what kind of power numbers are you getting? Um, let me let me. You know, I think I think on the flat uh, descent. Let's see here. Um, yeah, like it, it is important for me to sort of just mention also that this. You know, Jonas has mentioned. Uh, a power number in a press conference and he hasn't told us is that what he was targeting on the flat is it what he was targeting on the uphill uh, I think there was some sort of clarification in there then that that was I think that's what he was targeting for the flat and then on the climbs he was obviously doing more and especially the climb to the finish he's he's going to be in you know in that final few kilometers where actually when when the when the the real cut the de Montsi finishes it's still then a three and a half kilometer drag to the finish line. And looking at the timing sheets, it looks like he's taken about 37, 38 seconds out of Pogaccia in the final three and a half kilometers alone. Uh, you know, which would also, so at, at least in my mind, suggest that Pogaccia has at some point there blown up on that, on the drag to the finish. Sure, there's going to be an aero difference there because Pogaccia was on his time trial bike versus, or, or Vinigo was on his time trial bike versus Pogaccia on a road bike. At that sort of four or five percent grade, the time trial bike is going to be faster. I, I, I don't know if it's thirty-seven seconds faster or not, but it seems to me like Pogaccia maybe was starting to fade, whereas Vinigo was seemingly only getting stronger. But anyway, I'm going off topic. What kind of numbers were <laughs> were you seeing? So, so I I heard that um, that three ninety three sixty quote, um, and I called uh, one of the you know uh, an aero friend guru on one of the teams. And I said, typically, how would the riders ride this hills versus flat? And he says, uh, add 10%, add an additional 10%. So if the flats, he's doing 390, add 10% to the climbs. So that's what I stuck into the model. And then to see if it made sense, I verified against, you know, the, the four, um, checkpoints on the course, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and sure enough, it fit. 
So I was using that. So I did, I did 390 and then another 10% uh, on the climbs um, for, oh. for Jonas in order to get a model that fit. Now, so maybe, that- I, maybe I'm overestimating the CDA. Maybe I'm underestimating the watts. We don't know. We don't have his power file. But, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, to me, to me, the, the floor is Dan Bingham in terms of CDA <laughs> and the ceiling mm-hmm. is, is, you know, the, the level your eyebrow raises when you quote a watt per kilogram number. So, um, and, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest with you, I, I have no feel for what's normal and not normal. I, I don't know, you know, any above, anybody above mm-hmm. my level is, is abnormal. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh i mean if you take 10 percent onto your 390 number there that's 430 uh yeah, and yeah. You, you, we're deep deep into the uh speculating at this point um but you know if 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 we take 60 kilograms for Vinigo, which i'm very reluctant to do because we have no idea if that's accurate or not but you're starting to get very very high uh yeah. insanely high watts per kilo figures for an effort mid time trial in the third week of a of a grand tour you know, again, mm. comes back to the numbers you plug in, but it's not. It doesn't take very long before you start seeing numbers over seven watts per kilo. Mm. Mm. You mentioned the bike chains there. Uh, I want. I want to briefly touch on that. It. It seems now, with the benefit of the hindsight, it seems like it was entirely the wrong idea. Do you? Th- the The question I have is not really a, was it a good idea to change bike or not, uh, but more was changing bike the wrong idea with hindsight given just how fast they went uh you know with with your models that you were saying earlier you didn't really predict that the 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 results would be this fast when it's a slower predicted speed does the bike chain start to make more sense and did Pogaccia maybe suffer a bit with his change because he was actually having to go much faster than than anybody was anticipating maybe i don't know if that question makes sense but um i the bike the bike swap makes a bit of sense from the weight perspective but mm. it makes a lot more sense if you have a big delta in the watts you can produce on the t t bike and the road bike you know so if 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 tadej can produce 400 watts on his tt bike but you know he can produce 450 watts on his road bike then then the road bike is starting to make sense and I don't think what what is the normal drop off there? Is it is it ten percent or five percent? For, for these guys, I don't I don't know. Um, mm. You know, Hybor uh, had had told me yesterday in our conversation that Vinigo has almost a zero percent drop from road bike to ten trail bike. So very often, you know, we we ask the arrow guys from the teams what, what they want to use as a percentage, and you know, five percent is is a number that I've seen used several times. But there's definitely riders that it's more than five percent. Absolutely, mm. um, and and you know we started looking at one point at the percentage drop off versus the amount of time they spend on their time trial bikes in a year. So teams are actually tracking how much time they spend on the TT bikes, and and the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the correlation between the two is is pretty strong. Mm. Well, I, like I probably previously would have said. I can't imagine how there could be zero percent drop off, but I know from my own numbers that actually, you know, it's an entirely different level, obviously. But I almost have zero drop off from time trial road bike to time trial bike. Uh, I think that's more 
indicative of my road bike performance than my time trial bike performance, but uh, it certainly it certainly is possible. The number you've mentioned there, five percent. Um, that's that that that's a number that I've heard I've heard previously, and and again, Hybor was explaining just how much time and effort and energy and dedication Vinigo puts into his his time trial bike. I think that's. I think we're at the point now where you can't really be credited for that because if you're a Grand Tour contender and you're not doing that, um, you know, that's definitely something you're leaving on the table at this point, isn't it? Yeah. And and I don't know, I don't know if Tadej in his recovery um, could spend less time on the TT bike or had less time to spend on it. Um, you know, that, that might've been a factor. Um, well, mm-hmm. I will never know, you know, and, and, and that difference between road and TT bike is very individual uh, pretty obvious that Jonas is very comfortable on a TT bike, um, but for Tadej, I, I don't think we can ever we can ever figure it out. Mm-hmm. I you meant you mentioned you know if there's a good weight saving between or a significant weight saving between time trial bike and, and road bike, it starts to make more and more sense. Um, and speaking with Hybor yesterday also, and and one thing that was clear from watching the the, the time trial even was how much time and uh, thought Jumbo Visma had put into making Vinigo's time trial bike as light as possible and the same for Van Aert they had right down to taking the paint off the frame which they saved about 100 grams on they had cut the seat post to the absolute minimum uh, insert amount that they possibly could the same with the riser for the extensions um, and what Hybor said was that they had never I, I put it to him you know did it the, the the question seemed to be on a lot of people's minds this week as to should you change to a road bike or should you stay in your time trial bike? And it seemed to me that Jumbo Visma had asked that question a long, long time ago, uh, given that they had a bike that had no paint on it and they had all these other measures that they were trying to reduce weight. And what, what he told me was that, yes, the they had decided at Paris-Nice that a bike change wouldn't be required if your time trial bike was light enough that removes the question about moving to a road bike and so they set about then reducing the 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 weight on that Cervelo P5 as much as possible and I believe they probably I, I know Roglic's time trial bike is 8.1 kilos so if they did some weight saving here they maybe got it below 8 kilos uh, that's a that's a good saving I also from what I understand the new Colnago TT1, which was developed after the UCI relaxed its regulations and, and done away with the three to one aspect ratio. That is a phenomenally fast bike on a flat time trial. But because they have been able to use, you know, deeper profile tubes and, and, and go all out on the arrow there, uh, that does come with a weight penalty. And perhaps that was, you know, the, from what I understand, that bike is, is quite quite heavy my own factor hanzo which is developed in the same era it's touching 10 kilos like they're they're heavy heavy bikes um you know do, do you think that indirectly pogaccio was slightly hampered there and that his bike was a different time trial in different circumstances and different parkour he actually might have had an advantage in the bikes but because of the nature of this parkour he had a disadvantage on his bike well we we did you know for the article that you wrote um uh pre uh time trial you know you, you mm. calc- we calculated roughly you know one kilogram uh, on that 10 percent incline is probably the equivalent of five watts okay so you know mm-hmm. one kilogram five watts two kilogram 10 watts so it, it's significant but 
I don't think it's as significant as the, you know, 20 or 25 watt difference between your position on your time trial bike and, and, and your road bike. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, looking at these numbers, there's no one thing that did it. You know, it was, it was the sum of all the little things. So, so Mm -hmm. yes, I do, I do think, you know, uh, you know, if, if you have a two and a half kilo difference between your time trial bike and your road bike, absolutely makes a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I still believe Tadej knew that, that 10 watt difference, but he felt that he could make it up in the power he could generate. And then the question was, was he able to generate it that day? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he, he's well, obviously, he's obviously cooked after, <laughs> after seeing yesterday's stage. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. We fast forward 24 hours and, and we get an idea of, of where, you know, Pogaccia is fatigue wise. Um, I think I'm just going to, you know, reiterate once again, how phenomenal Pogaccia's ride was in the time trial, uh, you know, to be over a minute clear of White Van Aert and, and the next place behind him. Um, usually that next place behind him is going to be second place, but this time it happened to be third place because there was just somebody even even higher level on the day. And I want to I want to counter your uh, sum of all the little things a little uh, a little bit and just say that it seems to me this time it was actually the sum of a lot of things which were actually quite significant. You know, yeah, and little little things get you maybe uh, um, you know, a, a thirty or a forty second gap, which would have been phenomenal in itself. But here we had a, a lot of little things which were making big differences, I, I think, to get a minute and 38. Yeah, and, 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 and if we take Jonas out of the conversation, you, you talk about Wout and, and Tadej. Um, now, mm-hmm. there, there's a big weight difference. And, you know, I used, I used uh, Wout, you know, I, I got it from uh, the, some of the cycling uh, stats. You know, I think, I think Wout, I had him at 70, 77 kilos. And Tadej, I think I had at 66 kilos, um, you know, and, and I, and I look at them and the number, the, the Delta in their finishing times makes sense. You know, I, I I forget the number I use, but I put slightly more power for Wout, um, very, very slightly more power for Wout, uh, and, and, and things, things lined up with their times. So, um, Mm. that one, I'm not, I'm not that surprised about. Um, Wout was carrying, you know, a good 10 kilos more on, on the bike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think we've sufficiently gone into the weeds in yeah. terms of what we know and what we don't know about, uh, both Jonas and, uh, Pogaccia's performances. Uh, the one thing we can be certain of is that they, they were both, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right superlative, but they were, they were, they were pretty uh impressive and one being Jonas's was perhaps the most impressive time trial performance we've ever seen absolutely the the, the question i want to put to you given your uh the work that you do with world tour teams now is what are the likes of yourself and the likes of dan bigham and um 
Toph Madison and, and everybody else who's in these positions in terms of performance management and aerodynamics and optimizing everything that goes into World Tour time trials. What are you guys doing now to make sure that we don't get a repeat in future? Like what kind of analysis is happening? What kind of interventions are going to happen? What sort of upgrades are teams going to look to bring in future to narrow that gap to, to Jonas, to Jumbo Visma? Uh, and bearing in mind that actually the final time trial of next year's tour is on the final day and it's around Nice and it includes a climb. So if we think this year's time trial is decisive with five or six stages to go, next year's time trial could literally be uh, entirely decisive for the for the this, the whole Tour de France uh, and it is going to include a climb also. So you've got 12 months. What what, what are you guys going to do now to, to narrow that gap? So I guess, you know, when, when I started with Astana in 2016, uh, very little was being done. And, and if I look at what's changed over the last seven years, it's, it's pretty significant. Um, I don't even think an awareness was completely there back then. Uh, whereas everybody's very aware of the importance of aero. Um, I don't think, but I don't, I don't think that, you know, in terms of actually doing efficient things about it is as widespread as, 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 the the understanding of the need. Um, there's a huge discrepancy, I would say, amongst teams. I think some teams are doing exceptionally well. And and I don't know what Jumbo is doing, for example, because I I I I've never worked with them, but everything I hear is is they're all over this. Like they're they're doing all the right things, uh, which isn't the same on all teams. Um I think a well, lot what of what would you consider to be the right thing? Sorry to interrupt there. Is that... So I think I think one thing that people are starting to realize, people started to invest a lot of money, for example, in wind tunnels uh, over the last couple of years. I think a, peop- a lot of people are doing a lot of wind tunnel testing, which is great. Um, but you're getting a lot of, well, we do all this wind tunnel testing and it doesn't translate into w- r- race results. And I think some of the smart people are starting to realize that wind tunnel testing is a tool, a necessary tool. But we, we have to be doing correlation of wind tunnel to race results. Uh, and when they start doing that, they see the gaps and then they start figuring out where the gaps are coming from. And then they start closing the gaps. Um, that, I believe, closing those gaps is is something that not enough of the teams are doing right now. Hmm. In my opinion. Uh, and that... If I'm, if I'm like to, just to go into what you're saying there, you're doing one tunnel testing. So I assume you're talking about getting CDAs yep. and then you're correlating it with the race results and working back the CDA uh, and you're not getting the same CDA. Is that is that what you're talking about? They're filling in the gaps. Why the, the change from wind tunnel to road? Yeah. So we, we see riders and I get data files. Uh, here are his wind tunnel numbers. He's a 0.182. Here is his Perinese TT. Uh, here's his power file. Here's his speed. Here's all the data that you need to do an accurate calculation. And he's a 0.205. Why? <laughs> okay. And and then, so you you, you got to figure out the why, you know, is his power meter reading wrong? Is Are we using the wrong rolling resistance on the tires? Or is the guy's mm-hmm. head just, just spinning around as, as he's trying to put out big watts? And, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's usually all of the above. But the his head spinning around putting out big watts is is very often one of the biggest reasons. Um, mm. So you're not going to see that in a wind tunnel. The guys are perfect position in a wind tunnel. Uh, they're not so mm. perfect on the road. And and as you mentioned earlier, 
you know, to go a little bit faster, I, I can't remember the exact numbers you used, but just, it was 30% more power to go, I think, four kilometers an hour faster from 36 to 40 or something was the numbers you give. And you're not going to do 30% more power. Uh, so th- that's when we always hear maintaining time trial position and, and positional discipline is so, so important because, you know, tilting your head the wrong way and, and, you know, increasing your CDA by who knows how much, you're not going to overcome that with whatever extra power you're you're managing to to put out. Is that fair to say? That's exactly it. Exactly. Hmm. So, you know, you 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 have to. What, what we see with the riders is when you show them what a difference holding a position makes in terms of they can go faster. They can actually it's it's you know they can put out a few less watts in order to achieve the same speed. When they see it, they kind of go, oh, yeah, okay. And they're actually more conscious about it, and and, and they try harder to hold a position, which, mm. you know, Jonas obviously got. He, yeah, he he certainly seemed to understand it. And understanding it's one thing, but the hard part is actually maintaining that positional discipline. Yeah, you could put a teacup on his head descending, and he probably wouldn't have spilt a drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they would let you. I'm pretty sure that would add something to the to the CDA there. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I interrupted you there. You were just uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear. You know, obviously the engine part of it. Jonas has one of the the best engines. Him, him, I, I don't mean motor doping, but I mean himself as the athlete. It's going to be very difficult for any team to find another Jonas Rinigo or another Tadej Pogacar. But I am fascinated to hear. You know what, what, what sort of things you're, 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 you know, you, you briefly mentioned there closing the gap from one tunnel to road, but, but yeah, I think you were going to delve into some other details that engineers and performance analysis and performance managers may be. I'm sure everybody was frantically running numbers and drawing spreadsheets and all sorts on on Tuesday evening. Is, is there anything else that you can can draw from from what you've seen there- on Tuesday to? You know, one of the things that, that I found over the last couple of years um, is there are a lot of myths. There's a lot of there's a lot of beliefs that this is faster than that, and and you know, um, and and you you speak to someone and you say, okay, why this? It says, oh, because I read an article, or because Dan Bingham does it, or um, you know, there, there's all kinds of myths, and and what you see is when you start testing and road testing you start to debunk some of these myths and um uh you you were at the sports cycling conference uh just at the opening of the tour and Mm -hmm. uh and and jamie pringle did an incredible presentation on 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 you know some of the optimizations they see and and people were very surprised so so things like you know, uh, they go in, they test them, they find the optimal position. And the majority of the time, the guy actually comes up in terms of stack rather than going down, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they don't shorten the cranks. They, they, you know, all these things. And, and it was kind of like, it was the ultimate session in myth busting. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so that was amazing. And, and I followed that up. I, I went to, um, I was doing some testing for uh, for an athlete that's preparing for World Masters um, in on the age group side, and and we 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 you know he said oh my my ultimate tire pressure is this and I said no it's not this it's that 
Um, you know, so another myth, you know, there's four watts, you know, we brought him up two centimeters in terms of stack. We raised his seat. You know, we found that, you know, a 90 millimeter wheel was no faster for him than a 60 millimeter wheel, you know, but he says, oh, but Remco rides a 90 millimeter wheel. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and, and all, all these myths, um, so some of them, you know, some of them we would for, find four, five, six, as many as seven watts. Some of them we would, we wouldn't see a degradation. And not seeing the degradation, for example, um, um, uh, rim depth uh, allowed him to go as fast, more comfortably. So, you know, that's a gain. Even if it's a zero watt gain, you know, the fact that he can ride the course without have, coming out of aero position is a good thing. So way, way, way too many myths, way too many, mm. you know, people, people are making decisions. People are purchasing things based on, on what they think and what they're, what someone's other's aero eyeball is telling them. And, and, and that's, that, that still exists in the world tour. in my opinion, that that's, what I was going to ask you, uh, like, I think it's easy for us, the general public to, you know, to almost have to rely on, on these myths. You, you look at what writers are doing and the fastest people in the world. And, you know, unless you've got access to your wind tunnel or an aero sensor, uh, and on top of that, all the equipment to test, you sort of have to rely on a bit, but you know, world tour teams in the modern era shouldn't really be relying on, you know, what they're seeing others doing. But is that is that happening? Like if, if we assume Ineos and Yumbo are leading the way in terms of testing and, and optimization, how many other teams then are just following what they do? I suspect I suspect more than fifty percent. Um you know, I kind of see that there's there's a few teams that really know it. There's there's another group of teams that have people on staff that I think are still learning a lot. So definitely they're not there. And then there's there's probably a third of the teams that are just following what everybody else is doing. Hmm. You know, so so you know, I, I I suspect there's a, less than a third of the teams. Uh, are are really doing the right things with the right people. And is there a danger then that if everybody is fixated now on Vinigo's performance on Tuesday and at, you know at least 50% of the other teams are trying to replicate that for next year, well actually you're only really bringing yourself up to the level that Vinigo was at this year and perhaps he and Yombo have moved on perhaps significantly by the time we do get to next year's tour and by following like that you're sort of you're sort of ensuring that you're always at least one year behind, um, and what seems to be the you know the the discipline within cycling where these sorts of differences are really really going to matter. Yeah, um, so you can see you know you can see some teams maybe pulling ahead more and more and more. Uh, on the other hand, uh, maybe this is creating visibility. Maybe some teams are going to say, well, we really need to do something about this before we fall too far behind. And, you know, if I look at what teams are spending on this, that, and whatever, I don't think aero testing is, is the most expensive of their expenses, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I, I would go as far as to say, you know, proper investment in aero is probably a pretty smart investment. You know, aero testing is not, yes, it's expensive. But compared to what some of these teams are spending in in travel and altitude camps and and salaries and then you know, aero testing is not that expensive. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about visibility there, and I actually, you know, I asked Matthew Hybor yesterday, would you not just publish Vinigo's data? And not even publish it, because that makes it very official. Would you not just, like, have him on Strava and have everything uploaded, all everything he's doing? And his answer was sort of twofold. The first part was, like, well, would that would that you know provide an answer or would it just add more fuel to the fire uh and that, that's not his words that's just me sort of yeah. that's, that's my version of what he said uh and and secondly it was like well you know we are in a performance environment and you know it's success is sort of almost key to any team's um long-term viability and why would they give away a performance advantage like that which i can you know, and one way I can understand, but again, going back, you know, if they if they got to the end of this year's tour and then give us a whole deep dive analysis on how they prepared for this year's tour, uh, I dare say they're not going to be resting on their laurels. They're looking to push further and further ahead for next year again. And and so again, the competition would only catch up to where Yumbo were this year rather than where Yumbo are going to be next year. So so two two parts to that one one is you know the transparency of the numbers um let's let's give credit to dan who who really dan bingham who really opened up you know his data and showed us what was possible and how low can you go and you know so so i i personally i think the transparency of the data would be a better thing um you know mm-hmm. it, you know if to, for them to say uh you know Jonas is a point one six four, you know Fine, you know it's 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 very easy for other teams to say, oh, we'll just need to get to a point one six four. Then, well, you know, <laughs> it's but, very very difficult to do. <laughs> but, but a little bit harder to do. Um, the, the the second part of that is uh, it's it's funny because at two thousand seventeen, I was at the tour, and the the CEO of Argon at the time uh, had set up a meeting with the folks. I think it was from ASO. It might have been the UCI or it was ASO, and they were considering putting a Nocio type device on every bike and uh, they wanted to do it for two reasons one they could get the data and use it for broadcast to make the broadcast more interesting but they also saw as a, as a way to 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 look for for cheaters so what they figured out is if this device was showing you had an abnormally high power well that would raise suspicion red flags in terms of you know superhuman performance and if you had an abnormally low CDA, that would be, well, maybe there's something other than the powers being applied to the pedals that's moving the bike forward. So they were looking for, for, for motor doping. So they, they, they saw, they saw an, an Osio type device as kind of like a, a, well, let's, let's see if the data all fits. Uh, and let's see if maybe we can, we can figure out if, if someone is, is cheating or not. Or not. I mean, I, I probably don't need to give you my opinion on whether or not I want to see uh, aero sensors <laughs> on every bike in the peloton. Of course, I do. <laughs> that that would be, uh, yeah, I think that would be that would be fascinating. Uh, fascinating. Uh, although before this tour, I might have said that broadcasting race radio would be fascinating, and really, it has not been fascinating at all. It's been disappointing, if, if anything. So, um, I want I want to just finish up just on you know going back to to your own background uh, and you are developing this new aero sensor aero sensors in general have sort of 
they've taken off in that there's more and more aero sensors on the on the market these days, and there's more coming to market. Uh, but they haven't taken off in the same way as, and it's difficult to see if they ever will. But in the same way as parameters have, in that you know, it's not just the World Tour pros that have a parameter. It's everybody, you know, almost everybody with a high end bike these days. And you know, even my dad's bike has a parameter on it, but I couldn't tell you the last time maybe he had even charged it. I'm not sure if he uses it. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> You know, where, where are we at with parameter with aero sensors? How much are these World Tour teams using them in terms of you know optimizing everything we just talked about? Is that part of closing the gap that you mentioned earlier? And the impossible question, like you know, twenty years from now, will they be on every Tour de France bike? Will they be on bikes rolling out of local bike shops? And yeah, just general state of of aero sensors. Where are we at these days? So I think, um, you know, we, we released an OCO, I guess, in 2000, end of 2016. Um, and, and, and I think they have evolved since then, but I, I do believe they are still, uh, a little too complex to use. Um, complexity isn't a big issue, I guess, at the world tour level, but if, if it was to have penetration more into the age group, um, ranks, uh, it still has to become easier. So I think there's a complexity thing. Um, there's definitely an accuracy thing. Um, you can, you can get really good accuracy. Uh, the, the, we're not at the point where you can just go ride any section of road in one direction and, and get accurate numbers. I think, I think we're, we're moving towards that, but we're not there yet. Um, so once you start having to, you know, introduce protocols and this and that in order to get accurate number, you increase the complexity, et cetera. So, so I still think there's some work to be done in terms of accuracy. Um, at the world tour level, I can't believe teams are not using these things. Um, they should be able to overcome any type of, um, uh, complexity. There, there's no reason for them not to be, uh, using them. Uh, I think, you know, I, I've spoken to many teams that have tried, weren't successful and kind of gave up, um, which I think is wrong. I think they, sh- they should persevere and, and they should seek um, assistance if they need it, um, because some, some teams are having success with it. So um, I do believe I do believe with time, ease of use, accuracy uh, will, will improve. Price will come significantly down. Uh, that's the other thing. I, I look at the price of some of these aero sensors, and and I think I think it's just way, way, way too expensive. Like, you know, just way too expensive. Um, it has to come down if ever we hope to 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 get. You know, I don't know. Um, I I remember early Argon days. They were talking about, well, what if we could get ten percent of the power meter market? You know, uh, it's it's nowhere near that. Uh, could could we get ten, fifteen, twenty percent? probably ambitious but uh, prices is going to have to come down ease of use is going to have to improve significantly it can't be complex you know you, you talk about forgetting to charge your garmin um you know if it's it's one more device to attach it's one more device to to uh, to charge uh you know i have a checklist when i go aero testing if, if i don't if i don't go through my checklist i forget something you know uh i, I tried to write a checklist but it would i, I didn't even know where to start <laughs> My, my, my business partner can't remember to bring his speed sensor for his wheel. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, if he can't do it, 
you know, um, you know, I, I suspect mm. a lot, a lot of the masses can't do it either. Yeah. You know, and, and going back to Yombo again for a second and just, you know, how clued in they are. Um, I, I think I, I'm, I'm going to say that because I think it is evident that they're, if not the most clued in, certainly one of the most clued in, in teams. And they now also have, you know, some of the best writers to go with that, which, uh, and, and, you know, some of the sort of, the research that I'm doing this week also into their sort of training the writers and nutrition and, and all that also suggests that they're just, uh, yeah, it's it's not just that they're optimizing their equipment is that that that's that what explains the performance we've seen this week. There there is a heck of a lot more uh, going on that I'm hoping to uh, shed some light on, but I don't know if I'm going to have any success in that or not. Um, but going back to the aero sensors, you know, it, it was actually something that Hybor himself brought up um i'm i'm assuming he doesn't know my that 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 i had one sitting right beside me as i was chatting to him he wouldn't have seen that on screen um but what he was telling me was that first of all they're they're testing vinigo with an aero sensor on the road going right back to the first year of of covid times um and when because you know the whole world was in lockdown and that the partner that they were working with um wasn't able to be on site so they were doing Highwire himself was doing the aero testing they had the device on the front of Inigo's bike they were sending the the data back to um it was streamlines in the uk and when the when the data was arriving uh the guys at streamline there john buckley he thought that the sensor had some sort of issue because everything they were sending through he just thought that couldn't his cda can't be this low there's there's a misreading somewhere uh so that tells you how far back that they're going with with this and that they haven't just improved his his cda from last year to this year but also you know he was telling me that two years ago highboard was telling me about uh aero mapping that they were doing to really optimize even just wheel selection from one day to the next and then this year although they didn't do it on tuesday one of the things that they're doing this year is actually sort of using aero sensors um and also using riders starting earlier in the stages to correlate all this modeling software and all that they have and, and all the results that they're getting from their from their performance modeling to then you know sort of make an assessment before the likes of van art or vinigo would go later in the day as to whether or not the predictions that they're making and the plans that they're making are are, are right for that day and i i thought that was very very interesting that they actually you know they're uh, one of the questions i have for you is is that something you're seeing other teams doing that correlation aspect and then secondly are aero sensors legal for use in competition is there any reason a team couldn't just send one of their early riders off with an aero sensor stuck to the handlebars and grab the data that way so okay um you mentioned you mentioned um, th- you know, people starting to use aero sensors for things other than just going out and measure CDA. And, and we see a lot of that, or we're starting to see a lot of that. For example, we use aero sensors along with, um, uh, vibra- we'll call it a vibration meter, uh, to measure rolling resistance and impact of uh, road surfaces on rolling resistance. So, so there's another application other than me- measuring pure CDA. Uh, I, I've spoken to you about this in the past. Uh, we're using aerometers to optimize team time trials. Now you talk about you talk about going and getting 15, 20, 60 seconds. Um, you know, if there were more team time trials, 
uh, there's a great place to, to, uh, to, you know, to, to go and get and seconds. So we use aero sensors to measure, for example, um, uh, savings in position two to seven. And, and we take that information, uh, along with physiological data, their, their critical powers and their W primes. And we build these models and we can find the optimum pacing, pull time, um, sequence of riders. Uh, to get to the finish line, everybody fully depleted as quickly as possible. And, uh, you know, we applied that model in 2019 at the Vuelta, and, and Astana won the team time trial. Now, you know, you don't have to be a cycling expert to know that, you know, Astana is not your typical team time trial. Um, that was a surprise result. Well, I, I like to think... I mean, it was- I like to think it's yeah. all the hard work that uh, that uh, the coach, the aerodynamicist, and myself did. For th- for those of us at the time who didn't know about that work going on in the background, that was a surprise result. Yes, yeah, but but yes. that 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 was that was the result of of taking the piece of technology and applying it in a way that hadn't been applied before. And I and I and I think there there's several opportunities like that for for the technology to be used, and and there, there's a ton more. And and I don't think uh, we haven't seen them all. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, like I, I used to have an OCO, and I regret now that I don't have one uh, anymore. But and and using it, one of the one of the most fascinating things for me about it, and I never knew what to do with the data, but was just all the data coming out of it in terms of, you know, you had uh, uh, the vibration you talked about, and you had row, and you had all sorts of extra data coming out of the no-show that. Certainly, with the aero sensor I have now, you you don't get the same uh, you you don't get all the same metrics now. I as I said, I didn't know what to do with it at the time, but uh, I did find it very very interesting what the potential might have been with that data. Uh, going back to my other question, are aero sensors banned in for use in competition? I believe they are. I believe so. Okay. So I haven't I haven't um, verified recently. Um, I, I suspect now the rules, you know, in terms of, you know, what they will allow on a bike. I, I think the UCI doesn't want a pedo sticking out of the front. Okay, so so I I think as long as there's going to be a pedo sticking out the front, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, you can put the technology. The, the technology could get embedded into a bike. Now, if you embed it into a bike, and and you know, would they allow it? I, I'm guessing that um, you know, I, I'm looking at the rules. It seems they're not as strict about electronics as they are about fabrics and, and, and other things. Uh, but then again, you know, if, if I think not, off body electronics, I mean, like if off body electronics, that's maybe off body sensors, maybe is a better word to, they seem less hooked up on off body sensors. Whereas the likes of, you know, they've, they've already banned lactate sensors and I don't know of any that are commercially available yet uh, in terms of real time lactate, measuring sensors that you you know a, a wearable device um so I've, I've always thought that they seem more concerned about on-body sensors than than on-bike sensors yeah i i get the impression sometimes so for example if 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 we made um let's let's call it a smart stem let's say we take the technology and we know we can shrink it considerably and we build it into the stem of a bike um mm-hmm. there's no rule against that but you know they would probably add a rule if they felt that it advantaged one team too much, they'd probably add a rule saying, okay, no electronics allowed in the stem. So, mm-hmm. um, 
I, you know, there's, there's lots of room for shrinking stuff and embeddings. I, I have so many handlebars with holes drilled in it, trying to, to embed this stuff into it. Um, it, it can be done. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think it would have to be done in cooperation with the UCI. I, I'm going to have to ask a question just for James and Dave who aren't here, but, uh, you know, th- an internal cable routing through a stem with an aero sensor built into it. That's, there must be a tool. Yeah. I, I forget the name of the chap that always talks about buying more tools. There, there must be a tool Dave, for, yeah. for handling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say I, I might prefer to see it built into a head unit rather than a, a stem or a handlebar. But uh, I'll leave. I'll leave that one with you. And I think uh, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Um, okay. So thank you for your for your time, Mark. That was good. It was all right. That was a uh, was fascinating conversation. Yeah, and uh, just a reminder again to all the listeners: if you enjoy what you heard there, please consider ensuring this these sorts of conversations continue to happen and continue to roll out on the escape collectives podcast feed by becoming a member over at escapecollective.com. so without uh and, um can i can i make a final request yes by all means yeah you have the uh, oh, you have the airwaves there uh an, an aero tt section in the discord the discord is fascinating um the forum yes that you, you can you can dis- the members get to talk uh, geek stuff but we definitely mm-hmm. need a tt section in the discord and yeah, for those listening who aren't aware of what Mark's talking about, uh, we for our members we have a subscriber uh, option and we have a membership option. The membership option gets you a host of extra access uh, within the Escape Collective, including to our Discord server and the Arrow and Time Trial channel within the Discord that you are requesting. There, Mark is already uh, not in development because I think it's just a click of a button, but it's certainly it's certainly on the way. You can expect that. Very 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 soon uh you, you did request that a couple of days ago and it's it's uh it's been handed up the line it's on the way uh, we'll have it any day now thank you <laughs> good stuff thank you 